welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Zuby, and this is episode 103 of the podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, guys. Hi, everybody. This is Derek. And uh, this is my friend, Zuby. Uh, and so, yeah, you may be like wondering what the hell is going on here. Um, so I, um, I asked Zuby to come on and we're sort of going to reverse roles today. And I am normally the interviewer, but today Zuby is going to interview me. Uh, so why don't we get right into it? Um, I'm sure as we talk, uh, we'll we'll talk about how we know each other and stuff because I have a little story I'm going to work in somehow about our okay. my trip when I met you the one time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, whenever you uh, whatever you want to start with, let's get going. Alrighty, Derek. Um, so I do know that um, you have struggled with alcohol in the past, um, but you do not drink any longer. So I was wondering. How long have you been sober? All right. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of the reason I, I wanted to do this podcast. Um, on f- May 27th, uh, so maybe two weeks ago, I celebrated 10 years uh, in recovery from alcoholism. Um, and that's a little different than being sober. Um, so I'd say 10 years ago, I, I sort of made the decision that I didn't want to live with this addiction anymore and started to take steps to enter recovery. And, and I stopped drinking every day at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as far as being sober, as far as the last time I used alcohol, it was uh, April 23rd of 2013. So it was just over five years ago. Um, And so it's sort of, you know, after initial period of sobriety, kind of crept back into my life. And, uh, you know, I had to address it once again. Uh, So basically a little bit, a little over five years at this point with with no alcohol, but uh, just over 10 uh, in recovery. In recovery. Awesome. Well, and um, relapses or, you know, they happen. I prefer to call them slips. Um, You know, it's because it doesn't take away all of the time that you've had sober before them. Um, But anyway, when did you take your first drink of alcohol? How old were you? Good question. Um, I I grew up in an in an environment of alcohol. Um, it was around um, in my house, and when we had family, you know, went to family's houses, especially on my dad's side. You know, it was it was a big focal point of, of parties and whatnot. So like early on, I remember just like you know taking little sips of you know uh, a sip of beer just to see what it tasted like. Or we love me and my brother loved to eat the olives out of my dad's martinis. Um, so like, those were like my first memories, but like, I'd say like probably the, the way you mean the question of like drinking, like a little bit more than that was like in high school. Um, so me and my friends, you know, discovered alcohol, probably it was like junior year of high school. Um, and I had a cousin and and the one time I remember getting drunk, drunk for the first time, uh, was with him and we were, I was about 16 
And uh, mm-hmm. we had we lived with my we didn't live, but we would stay with my grandparents every so often. They would take us for like a long weekend and do different kinds of shit with us. It was cool. We'd play games and stuff. And and they had a, like a bedroom for us where we slept. Um, and in those later days, when I was sixteen, it was in the basement. We had our own area, and it was it was like cool. Um, and the the bar was like right outside of our bedroom, <laughs> you know, and some of the shit was in there that was just like horrible, right? You know, the, the peppermint schnapps, oh, and, you I know, just, imagine. you know, the awful stuff. But what we managed to find like, you know, a bottle, a half bo- open bottle of whiskey from the 60s or whatever. And we we're like, yeah, we drank it. And I remember getting drunk and, you know, was a complete mess and, you know, felt <laughs> horrible the next day. And was like, oh, so that's what it was like. And then my friends and I in, in high school would, would just infrequently, maybe once a month or every two months, we had like we'd throw parties and we didn't have anywhere to actually party because, you know, our parents wouldn't let us drink, you know, in their houses. So we would go and we hung out in the back of the high school and we had what's called loser paloozas, uh, oh, which gosh. was a play on Lollapalooza at the time, you know, uh, it was like 1995 at this point. And um, okay. we would go to the back of the school and there was like woods back there. And we had a friend that was like, he looked like he was in his mid twenties and he could just walk in and buy beer wherever. And it was never a problem once we, you know, had an interest in it. So it wasn't like a, a, a huge part though. We had, you know, it was like I said, maybe once a month we do it. It wasn't like anything that I would call alarming, you know, at that point. Right. I remember the parties in the woods. We weren't brave enough to drink behind my high school, though. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have security, security every once in a while. I guess maybe a neighbor would, would complain or something because we'd get loud, and they'd drive out onto the ball fields with these cars to try and catch us, and we'd, like, dive into the woods. Like, it it was wild. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, like, there's just so many res- – like, there's the woods are gone, so you couldn't even – I don't even know what they do these days. <laughs> Right. Yeah, we, I remember one time getting lost in a cornfield, running away from a uh, barn party. But um, yes, high school. Um, yeah. So when did you start to think that you were an alcoholic? I had a moment I remember that stood out as the first time I, I remember thinking like, hmm, this could be a problem. Um, and it's it's just so random, like when these how these moments stick out, because like it, it, there was nothing in particular about this night. I was a junior in college. Um, I'd gone to college straight undergrad, straight from high school. So this was like 1999. Uh, and I remember we had, I had friends that were, I wasn't quite 20. I was like 20 at the point at that point. And, uh, I had friends though that lived with us that were of age. So I got whatever I wanted from them. And I remember I had drank like three or four nights in a row, you know, at that point, or maybe even longer. But I remember walking up the stairs after having gotten a 40 ounce of malt liquor <laughs> and going to the bathroom and on my way up the stairs, just thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder if this is sort of becoming a, a bad habit, you know, or, or like that I, kind of thought. Like, you know, and I never had that thought previously in college. And I drank a lot in college, but I really saw, you know, it was binge drinking. It was college behavior. I didn't right. need it. And that was the first time where I was just like, oh, you know, maybe I, the decision that night had been like, you know, back and forth between deciding to drink and not. And we, we were like, yeah, what the fuck? And I was just like questioning it. But then I remember about a year or two later having another very similar like just moment that sticks out where I was drinking Southern Comfort <laughs> shots of it. <laughs> 
and and I had graduated at this point, but I was only like it was a year after graduation. I was living still in around Rutgers, and I had two roommates, and I was doing shots of Southern Comfort by myself. And I remember thinking uh. to myself, ah, this seems weird. Like I would think, like when I, a year ago I was doing shots with my friend, you know, with my roommates, you know, because we were still exactly. in college, and now I'm still doing this, and the roommates that I have aren't into this because they have. You know, well, we all had full-time jobs, but I guess I could still manage it. And that was the second time where I was like, ugh, hmm. And then from there, I, you know, everything else is kind of a blur. But um, right, well, two, two in the particular of my mind. One at the end, one in one in junior year, and then one just after college ended. So I was like, you know, right around my my, my turning my drinking age, you know, twenty to twenty-two ish. Right. Well, and I, I mean, I'll mention, I'm not sure if I have, but I'm in recovery as well. Um, and, uh, I drank alcoholically in college for sure, but it was really easy to get away with, um, because it seemed to be on par with everyone else. But like you, I did have those moments where I would, you know, start drinking alone, um, which is a, a big sign. Yeah. Um, so what event led you to eventually quit? Well, it got worse. Uh, so we, we were talking, right, you know, my early 20s. Throughout my 20s, I just drank them away, you know. Um, it, right. it got progressively worse uh, into my later 20s. Um, I, went to gr- uh, I went to grad school from 2005 to 2008. Uh, and that was the worst point. Th- those were the worst years. Um I was in grad school and working full time. So I was working 40 hours and going to school one one or two nights a week. And I managed pretty okay. Like I, you know, I didn't fail out. Um, I did take an incomplete once, um, but I was more for the, I was in a relationship at the time that was just really um, not good for either of us. Um, So I was dealing with relationship issues and that's kind of what, what caused the, but uh, it certainly didn't help. Um, and so I'd broken up with this person and like a month later met Katie, who is how I met you, my, my current wife. Um, right. And then I was just like too messed up still. I was getting out of this relationship and I was just like, you know, you're awesome, but I'm just not in a place to date. And we just kind of texted back and forth for a few months and then we started dating and then we got serious real quick. Um, so it was February of 08 that we moved in together. Uh, after only dating for about six months, we got our own place. She had been living at home, so it just wasn't working. <laughs> and I was living right. with uh, a roommate, this girl that I had worked with. It was just a very odd living scenario. Um, so we got our own place in February, and um, it became much harder after I moved in with her to hide my addiction. You know, she knew I was a drinker, and she was a drinker, and we would get drunk together, but she didn't know the, the depths of how much I was drinking. You know, I was hiding it a lot, you know, and um, I was drinking at work. Um, right. You know, I was in the mental health field. I was doing counseling, you know, half in the bag. It was pretty bad. Um, and I went to a wine festival with Katie and her cousin, and it was Memorial Day weekend, 2008, and I had she had gone to work that morning, and I had was like, oh, I'm just going to start early, and I was drinking vodka in the morning before she got there, and then she got, came, and then we went to the festival, and we were just, you know, going around. It was the only, one and only time I've been to a wine festival, you know, and you go <laughs> around, you take the little the sips, and if you like it, you'd buy a bottle, and then you'd 
lay your blanket down and, you know, have a glass. You know, it was not a, a, a wasted type of event where, you know, everyone's like, you know, raging and, you know. And, yeah. and here I was like stumbling around and just like a mess. And right. I remember slipping in the mud and just getting like, like, just completely like filthy um, and just coming home and Katie was just like you know you could tell she had been embarrassed and she was like what was wrong with you <laughs> and I remember just like that was the moment where I was like I, I'm just going to tell her and, and it, it occurred to me then that as it was coming out of my mouth like as I was telling her like I'm an alcoholic like that I knew that she wasn't going to stay with me if, if I remained an alcoholic so I was going to have to actually change <laughs> and that was the first right. time I you know before then it was like you know probably what you've tried it's like oh I'm not going to drink for the, the week and then I'll party on the weekend and maybe you did that for a little bit you had but you never like came out and said to anybody like I'm stopping drinking you know it was your own kind of like battles so I oh, had yeah. a little bit of that and, and then but this was the first time where I was like no nah, this is it so that was that was May and then um the next day, I had had off. It was right around. I had taken off. I think it, the, it was Memorial Day when I happened, and the day after, I had taken off that week. And so Katie called out of work, and I went to the doctor, and I told my doctor what had, what I was doing, and she was like, "I got to get you into the hospital." And I was like, "What?" She's like, "Yeah, you you need to detox, and you know you can't just stop drinking. You know, I as much as I had been in the the field and known a lot about addiction, like it just kind of really threw me for a loop because I was like, wow, I didn't realize like how messed up I could be. And oh, it's serious. Yeah. So she tried to get me in the hospital, like to detox me, but there's no beds. So Katie had gone with me to the doctor. So she was like, I'm gonna send you home with her with and gave me a script." for Ativan. Uh, and I went home and then she said, go to AA. So that night, uh, Katie and I went to my first AA meeting and wow. I continued to go to AA probably for about three or four months after that. Um, so that early point, you know, I went about, what was it? 16 months, I believe, that between that moment and my first relapse. And it right. actually happened in Colorado on the trip out there when I met you. Um, so that was 2009 when that when really? We were yeah. Uh, your daughter was in a stroller. Um, and we met for, I think, breakfast or lunch or something. And. And I, we, the, it was, I think the night before, it was sometime before we had met up with you, we had hung out with Katie's other friend, Sarah. And I was, I had told Katie ahead of time, I was like, I think I'm going to have a drink. Uh, and my stupid reason was like, it was the first time I had ever seen, um, what's that brewery out there everyone loves? Um, oh, uh, Breckenridge Brewery. Oh, no, no. The, the one that's got, uh, Oh, it's got the beer can with a bicycle on it. It's really fat big. Tire. Yes, fat tire. Um, <laughs> so it was the first time I had ever had seen fat tire, and I'd always wanted to try it. They don't have it on the East Coast. Well, now they do, but back then they didn't. So right. I was like, I want to drink a fat tire. So you know that was my excuse to relapse, and I drank like five of them that night. Um, so yeah, that and that was like almost sixteen months to the day from from sobriety. And then the next time I was, I went like nine months 
without drinking and then had a drink and then it was like six months you know it was like every time got smaller and smaller and every time i came up with a new excuse to be like hey why don't i have a drink you know and I guess Katie was probably like, okay, but still at the same time, like probably concerned, but she's, you know, to her credit, she's always let me, she's never been a lecturer, you know, she's always made, let, empowered me to really like make my own decisions. And, you know, I, I really appreciate that about her. Um, Katie's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's for sure. And then it just got to be the, the time periods got to be weeks, you know, and then it was like we moved to where we where I'm living now and uh it was within those first few weeks where I started looking for liquor stores in the area you know cuz I had my whole network of liquor stores in my old area oh sure and then I didn't like when being in this new town like I didn't know where you know where and I remember going and getting you know just a couple of nips of vodka you know and being like this and drinking in my own house like my new house or whatever and that being like the wake-up call i was like i got a son now i'm picking up the stupid behavior that i thought i left behind like i gotta i gotta do something and then that night i remember that was again that was the last time i had a drink when i told katie again i'm like i fucked up i need to go back to aa and she was like she again shocked um she didn't realize you know um so it was again probably another four months of AA, and then I got my footing. And I remember going back for my one year anniversary, and uh-huh. and I went to like a totally different AA meeting I'd never been to. I just wanted to celebrate it, you know, because it was just important to me. And that was probably my last AA meeting. Um, but yeah, I feel strong now. I, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say something like I'll never have another drink. <laughs> um, that's tough to say. I don't yeah. say that either. I, I don't think that's a good thing to say. You know, you shouldn't put set yourself up like that. But I, I really feel as strong as I've ever felt at this point when it comes to drinking and and being able to say, you know, now. And every and the part of it, I think, is just because now I have that identity too, of being right. in recovery. That like it's easy to say no. You know. Exactly. I had uh the I had some about three years ago. I went to the fish festival with my brother. And, uh, you know, we, we met a bunch of great guys and, you know, heavy drinkers, whatever. Um, and they were shotgunning beers all weekend, you know, and you like put a hole in the bottom and like, oh, totally, you know, and it just like (laughs) shoots down your mouth. Um, so they were into that all weekend. So like the last night they got like 15 guys together. Like, we're all going to shotgun a beer. We're all going to take a picture of it. And everybody's got to do it. And, uh. So everyone gets in, you know, and and they're all like, Derek, you got to drink a beer. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to. And they're like, come on, come on. And then my brother stepped in. He's like, listen, he's not going to drink a beer. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm in recovery. And they're like, oh, OK, no problem, no problem. You could take the picture. And I was like, OK. And I shotgun like a seltzer in honor of it. That's awesome. Um, but like, that's like, you know, that's it these days. It was like, you know, I, I don't have to fight it too hard because I'll have people that will step in. And, and it's easy for me to say, like, you know, because the temptation isn't there, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. desire well and it's you know it's funny because i feel i feel like people understand being in recovery a lot more now um than they used to i mean that that's just a get a guess but absolutely i feel i feel very understood when i Mm -hmm. say i'm in recovery 
Um, and people are back off immediately. But yeah. I still, it, I think it's actually in some ways a little easier than with the mental health culture, you know, being in recovery from a yeah. mental illness versus being in yeah. recovery from alcoholism. I think there's still a lot more stigma with mental illness. We have a lot more work to do, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll be getting into that next because yeah. I struggle as well. Yeah. Um, so let's see. In fact, that was my next question. Um, alcohol, you know, alcoholics often have co-occurring mental health issues. Um, that was the case for me. Um, and that clearly was the case for you as well. So how do you feel that that kind of played into your alcoholism or, you know, in my case, I was self-medicating for, um, anxiety and depression and, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so what, what, what was that like for you? I don't, I don't think it's anything I can pinpoint. Like I don't have, um, I'm not, I don't have a diagnosed mental illness, um, you know, so I don't have that that lived experience of being in recovery from a mental illness. I have had times of, of depression, um, but I would call uh-huh. it like situational depression. You know, like I remember the first time I ever felt it was like my, my first girlfriend broke up with me, you know, and it was in college. Uh-huh. And it, you know, it was like a down period of a few months. Um, and I remember like the thing that made me think it was actual depression is like I remember starting to doubt religion. You know, like that was like a major thing for me, like that it was like, oh, this is a little more serious than just being sad, you know? Right. Um, but I didn't like, that was not, like that was sophomore year. Like I, I was not self-medicating with alcohol, you know, to, to get away, you know, away from that. Um, I, I, growing up around it, you don't realize how much of an impact that has on you until it's too late. Um, right. Because it's just so ingrained to be so comfortable and around you that it, it you can't like unlearn that. Um, so I think part of it was just, you know, the, the familial stuff um, right. that, 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 call, that led me to use it as a coping tool for, I don't know, maybe anxiety. You know, I definitely, you know, struggled as a younger person at times with like social anxiety. It was never crippling. You know, I was, I was pretty average, I would say. You know, I wasn't too popular, but I wasn't bullied. You know, I was kind of in the middle. But I struggle, you know, I remember one thing in particular I was just super anxious about from an early age was like talking on the phone. That was something that always stuck out to me where I would like have to psych myself up. But like, I don't know, like I never had um, anything that stood out like, you know, you were saying like a PTSD type of thing where I could say like this is what, what, what drove me to it. I think it was, you know, part just heredity. Uh, and, uh-huh. and, you know, just being, you know, the peers you pick, you know, it was very socially acceptable to drink around them. Um, so that that reinforced things. So, um, right. but yeah, I, I've taken uh, antidepressants once, but it was actually to quit smoking cigarettes. Um, I got prescribed Zyban, which was uh, which is actually Wellbutrin. And uh, exactly. yeah, I took it for like a month or two. And it actually really does cure or curb the uh the smoking uh urges but it just made me feel very foggy and weird and and i just couldn't tolerate it and so that always made me kind of like wary of the times after that i did feel down of of starting any kind of medication so i don't have that experience right i took out of i took anti-anxiety medication when i first uh 
when I first went into recovery, mainly to counteract, you know, or, or help the body get through the withdrawal. Um, but I stopped that like a couple of months after I, I had after recovery. Yeah. How was it for you detoxing? I mean, for me, I got, although, you know, I've, um, quit drinking just nine months ago and I'm 42. So, uh, for me, my body was very heavily physically addicted. So I would, um, I'd puke, pray the porcelain God when mm-hmm. I stopped drinking. Um, you know, I almost had to drink to maintain normalcy. Um, so I had a medicated detox in a facility. Um, what was your detox at lo- like? So I was 30. Um, I, it, it was, I don't remember it being horrifying. You know, I, I, there wasn't puking. Um, so, but I, I remember getting a, uh, a liver function test when I had seen the doctor that day and my liver, my, I definitely had a stressed liver. Um, but I didn't, you know, get any medication for that. I, like I said, I got the Ativan and physically I, the, I did not have too big of a problem with the detox. It was much more of the, the mental stuff, you know, in, in afterwards, the coping, you know, um, so yeah, it wasn't as bad as, um, as I expected it to be, or, or I guess that it could have been, um, compared to, you know, what other people I know experience. I had a, um, a cousin, unfortunately just passed away, from complications of liver failure, you know, alcoholism Wow! Uh, in January. And uh, he was, f- I believe, around f- your age as well. Um, yep. And it was a huge wake-up call. To m- not a wake-up call like, you know, I had to change something, but just an eye-opener because I thought to myself, like, well, I quit when I was 30. Like, if I just, if I had kept drinking for another 10 years, like, I guess that could have been me, you know? Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I lost um, two uncles. One at one passed away at forty five, um, and another one passed away at forty two, which is how old I was when I decided, you know, to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, that was my wake up call. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you had mentioned trying different things to quit, or, or you know, convincing yourself, well, I'll just do this and. You know, I'll just do that, and which I completely did. I was like, "Well, I just won't drink vodka anymore. I'll just have wine," yeah. and then that would turn into an entire bottle. And you know, so you had you had done those things as well. Yeah, it's funny yeah. how so many alcoholics tend to drink vodka. I don't. Know. <laughs> like, um, have you learned anything in rehab about why that is? Like, is it just? I totally did. It's a it's a a, a fallacy. It's a misbelief that vodka doesn't smell. <laughs> yeah, because I'm but sure we stunk. <laughs> Yes, we totally reeked. When you're drinking massive quantities, it definitely smells. But in fact, I think that's been repeated on a movie somewhere that, you know, they drank vodka because it didn't smell. Yeah. Uh, and it, when, when a man loves a woman, maybe. But yes, that was a topic of conversation amongst all the vodka drinkers in rehab. <laughs> yeah. So I did. I totally did the same thing. You know, it would be like, oh, I'll only drink on the weekends or I'll limit myself to only beer or, you know whatever it was only with friends so i tried all of that none of it worked um right and then even after going into recovery i, I still played these mind games you know the, the the my favorite one was i'm only going to drink when i go places on an airplane <laughs> <laughs> my rationale being how often do i fucking fly you know so even yeah. if that's three times four times a year you know that's better than what i was doing 
Um, but right. I, and so probably if I had stuck to that, it probably it would have been fine. Um, right. But as you know, we just can never <laughs> stick to those games. Um, exactly. So it became, you know, with the next excuse. Oh, you know, it was my friend's wedding. I don't know. Um, only at weddings. That was another one. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I um, had that one, too. So, yeah. So I played all all those same kind of games and, um, and none of them worked. And uh, and really that that going back to AA the second round was to reinforce that point that I was not right. special. You know, I may have had I may have been able to escape, you know, DUIs and, and severe repercussions. You know, I never hurt anybody. You know, I never physically hurt anybody. I wasn't a batterer. I never got, you know, any kind of legal problems from my alcoholism. Um, but that didn't make me any, you know, better of an alcoholic. <laughs> um, right. Exactly. I was just lucky. <laughs> um <laughs> So I needed to learn that lesson five years after, you know, recovery, you know, and so I just, again, I'm lucky that I learned it without, with minimal, you know, repercussions. So, yeah. Um, well, no, the reminder is, is definitely good. And it's, it's definitely something that, you know, I call it my disease, but my disease of alcoholism likes to say things to me like, oh gosh, you know, you've got nine months around the corner. You're about to pick up your chip. In fact, I relapsed one time after I picked up my 30 day trip chip because my brain was like, Oh, Hey, see, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just so just drink sometimes. And then sometimes went immediately to every day and it was vodka. (laughs) Yeah. And no amount of like, I don't know, lecture from your sponsor or from another person that's can, can, I don't know, can, it doesn't help. I don't know. You have to yeah. live it yourself. You have to be like, no, I need to see this for myself. And at least for me, um, maybe not everybody, but um, I, th- that's always been the way I've, I've been. It's like, no, I have to experience for myself. And that again, you know, is a testament to allowing, you know, Katie allowing me to kind of fail with dignity and be like, all yeah. right, I tried it my own way. Now I, I'm going to try it your way or, you know, AA's way or whatever. Um, somebody that has more experience than I do, you know? Right. Whatever way works. Yeah. Um, so you had Katie to, uh, you know, to confide in, what would your suggestion be to someone who's really struggling? Because I mean, for me, it was extremely scary. Um, it's a, it's a giant vulnerability to, to tell someone that you're struggling with alcohol. Yeah. Um, I, I, in some ways, owe my life to her because if she hadn't have come into my life, I don't know what else would have stopped me from drinking. You know, um, right. I don't know what what, what that why it would have been had I been you know alone. So I can totally empathize with that. Um, what what I had to do beyond having her was was um, I confided in all of the people that were close to me um, when I first made that decision. I remember that night after I told Katie, I, I called my parents and I told my dad. And that was, you know, a completely unbelievable conversation. Like we never talked like that, you know, and to, right. you know, that was, it still stands out. Um, I called my brother, I called a couple of friends and I told them all and they all knew I had a problem. <laughs> so even if we had never spoken about it, like I never talked about it with my brother, um, but he right. knew from partying with me. Um, so right. that, that instilled a level of accountability in me. Um, 
because once I told them, it was like this, like, I can't go back kind of thing. Exactly. So I, the, for me, I really need accountability in my life. Like I need to be, hold myself accountable, not only to myself, but to somebody else sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. It's the, when, you know, it was the only way I was able to quit smoking cigarettes too. Like the first time I quit, I, I made a pact with two friends and we, we stayed quit for about two years. And then I met Katie and she was a smoker and <laughs> we started smoking again. <laughs> And to to my credit, all three of us relapsed right around the same time. Uh, and then Katie and I, when we got married, we were like, "What are we doing smoking? Like, let's, let's stop this stupid shit." And we quit together, and we've we've managed, you know. So I've always needed this like this level of like knowing having somebody else that's important to me, whose whose opinion of me matters, to to know and to be like, "Well, you said this," and in my mind, like that's often uh, an important, you know, enough of a, a support. Um, so I'd say like, if you don't have a significant other, you do probably have somebody in your life that you, that really cares about you. Um, that is a support, you know, that is a a healthy support. So confiding in somebody that's also an addict, um, may not be as helpful, right? Because they're going to give you an out, (laughs) um, versus confiding in somebody that does not have, you know, an addiction. So, um, you know, finding those supports in your life that matter. And then, you know, everyone says it, you know, that's in the, in the, in the AA community, you know, just go to a meeting or, you know, all the things that they say, but if you've never been, it can't hurt, right? Exactly. (laughs) Nobody's ever been hurt by going to an AA meeting. So, um, it's definitely not for everybody, but, um, it works with enough of people and, you know, there's not everything that I agree with that they believe, but that, that's not that's not necessary. You know, I can take from right. it what I need, and the other stuff be like, oh, I'm going to do this a little differently, and and if it works for me, then that's okay. That's all I need it to work for. So, um, I'd say yeah. you know, using accountability, using your, the supports that are close to you in your life, um, ch- check out AA, at least give it a shot. Um, and then after that, it's really all about finding your, your coping skills, you know, and, and developing those, those tools for when you have those moments of weakness, because they're going to come, you know, and, and probably oh, yes. they're going to come when you least expect it. So, oh, yes. yeah, for, for me, those, um, those have changed over the years, you know, like they, they were different early in my recovery, um, where it was like things like AA and, you know, I used like medication, you know, in the beginning, beginning, um, I went to uh, a psychiatrist. Um, and then the things that I use now, as far as I think are more like wellness strategies, you know, now that I'm feeling good, it's things to stay well, you know, I, right. I'm really in love with yoga right now. Um, I, I walk my dog, you know, two times a day, you know, um, you know, just that the healthy habits that I've been able to instill really go a long way to keeping, keeping my mind, you know, in the right place. Um, so what, one thing, and I'm really curious about this, um, as someone in early sobriety, but, or, or recovery, what does that look like for you. One of the things that I, I run into a bit is just not knowing what to do with my time. Um, you know, before it was happy hour or go to this friend's house and drink or, um, so I, I find I have a lot of free time on my hands, which AA helps with, but what, what do you do in later sobriety? What does that look like for you? 
that's a great question. Um, and I, 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 there's so many parallels, I think, between this and, and mental health recovery, because I think of, you know, people like that are dealing with depression and don't have anything to do, like, that's the worst thing. <laughs> um, so I think the, the most critical thing is to have to develop a routine and to have structure in your life and to fill those voids with things that are going to, you know, keep your mind busy because, and that idle mind, you know, if it's the addict mind, it's thinking about, you know, things you shouldn't be, those people, places and things. And if it's the, the mental health kind of mind, it's thinking about, you know, what you should be doing or, you know, the fact that you're not working or going to school, you know, um, we say it all the time in my school where I, where I work and teach, um, we talk about employment and how important employment is for people with mental health issues. And, you know, a lot of times there's this tendency for people with severe mental illness for the people around to be like, oh, you know, you shouldn't work because it's, it's so stressful and, you know, you you need to take care of yourself. And it's like, dude, you think working is stressful? Try not working. Exactly. <laughs> um, not working sucks um, because you're just thinking about how you should be working, you know. Um, and so I think having, you know, that the, the fact that you have a lot of time in your hands is like having that I am acknowledge that self-awareness is really, right. really important early on to be like, oh, actually, this is probably not the best thing for me. Um, so, you know, it's finding those things. And, and in the beginning, it's probably a lot of exploration and trial and error, you know. Um, so right. I, you know, I had a full-time job, so I had that to fill most of my day. And, you know, I, I had, you know, but it was that routine of like, oh, if I was going to be, you know, it was awkward in the beginning with like, I used to go to bars all the time and then I didn't want to be in bars. Um, right. So you, you definitely have to be a little bit more like cognizant of that and be like, all right, I'm going to call my sober friend on Friday night, I guess, um, <laughs> because they won't want to go to a bar um, because after a while it does get easier. And now it's like, now I can go to a bar. I don't really right. like it <laughs> because it's kind of boring um, to be exactly. you know, drinking. You know, it's like I might go wild and have a Red Bull. <laughs> That's like a really wild night for me. Um, Crazy. Yeah, because – but um, otherwise, just like, oh, it's like, I'm just going to sit around and watch these people drink. That's kind of boring. Um, but, you know, Katie doesn't have a drinking problem. So it's like, I kind of feel like, you know what? It's she can enjoy a glass of wine. We could go out and have a drink at a bar like I can tolerate that because I know she's not going to want to sit there for three hours and, you know, slam beers you know so it's like get okay. hammered right mm -hmm. um or you know even that it's like she'll she gets bored of it too it's like she'll go she'll have her glass or two of wine it's like okay i'm i'm ready for whatever we want to do next whereas you and i would be like no let's stay <laughs> um, let's stay <laughs> isn't this what we're doing next? yeah right um so finding others that don't sort of plan all of their social activities around drinking tough at first i know but that's where aa does really help early on um, right. I think if I had if I think if I had had met cool people in AA, I would probably have stuck with it longer. But I just never found like my tribe in there. So, right. um, but that's what I think. I think so many what draws or what keeps people going. You know, um, they go for the message initially, but they stay because of the relationships. It was what it seems like. Right. Well, and I'm I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. That's I went to treatment um, here, but the 
the recovery community is amazing here. And so that's definitely why I stay. But um, I think that we have to be careful about touting AA as the only solution, you know, because I really believe that there are anything that helps people not drink um, is a good thing. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Agreed. We, uh, yeah. we used to, you know, and I worked in the mental health field. I always feel so inadequate when coming to the point where, cause I was the head of, I was the supervisor of the co-occurring unit in one place I worked at. Um, and you know, when they'd come in and be like, what's for me, you know, you'd be like, well, you know, there's AA. it'd be like, oh, you know, and not everyone, you know, jives with that. Um, yeah, some people, have had bad experiences. Some it just doesn't resonate, and I would always struggle to be like able to name other types of resources that just it's sorely lacking in the community, and it doesn't seem it, to be like, you know, it's in an area like New Jersey and probably an area like Jackson as well, you know. Um, right, right. Well, there there's definitely two that you might want to look into, but Smart Recovery and yes. um, Women for Sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, are two that I've explored uh, because I struggle a little bit with the higher power concept. But yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, let's see. So what would your message be to someone who is struggling with alcohol abuse? So this is hard because I um, – yeah. I, I'm not the one, the kind of person that will give people advice. You know, this show is a lot about like people figuring out for themselves what they want, setting a goal and then taking the steps to achieve it. And that was really what the, the podcast was founded on those principles. I would say first figure out, you know, like you, at some point you're going to just know that it's time. <laughs> um, mm. You can't, I've seen, I used to watch intervention a lot <laughs> And, you know, I, I never had an intervention happen to me. Um, so it never got to that point, but what, what the basic elements of an intervention, why interventions work is that you basically force the person to have, to find their bottom. Um, you you kind of for, instead of waiting for them to hit rock bottom, you kind of bring it on, you know, you kind of bring it on almost artificially, but it, it does work. Um, so, you know, the person I just, I just don't see anyone succeed in recovery before bottoming out, you know? Um, and and I wish I could, I wish I had more optimistic news when it came to that. Like, um, but you almost have to kind of just give up. (laughs) Right. Um, I made a post on Facebook recently. I'm sure I know you had seen it, you know, where I, I talked about it on the day of, of my 10 year anniversary. And like, that was like the, the thing that I wanted people to know what it was like is like what it's like to just say, I give up. <laughs> I can't do this yeah. anymore. Um, because it's, it's incredibly hard, but incredibly relieving at it the is. same time. I it- mean, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like tears coming to my face because it just <laughs> that relief is just you carry around that those secrets and that pain for so long that when you finally don't have to live like that it's just like such a weight off your shoulder so if you hear the emotion in my voice and you're thinking man I wish that was me like it can be you um all you need to do is give up <laughs> yeah. um and and give up meaningfully, you know, um, not these silly like promises that we make to ourselves. Like, all right, just on the weekends, um, you you kind of have to go into it. I think with the mindset of like, it, I'm done, you know. Even if it doesn't 
end up lasting. Like that has to, I think, be like at least the the early mindset. So try and find your bottom and um, and just tell somebody. You know, tell somebody that you care about. Call up the suicide hotline if you're feeling like that and tell them because telling just anybody, even if you don't know them, it definitely does feel better. You know, go on an online anonymous message board and tell them, (laughs) Um, you know, because you never know where you're going to get that spark to be like, okay, this is this is I'm ready now. Um, Right. So, yeah, I always like I always like to say you, you say finding your bottom um, which made me giggle, but, uh, as far as, as me, I got to the point where I couldn't find my ass with two hands. So, um, that was when I knew I'd reached my bottom yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's different for everyone. So, and you know, they don't have to look terrible, you know, mm-hmm. um, mine did because I guess I'm stubborn. Um, but, uh, mine, mine looked pretty bad, but you know, if you go into a meeting, an AA meeting or something like that, or if you think you might be struggling, be really careful to say, well, I'm not there, you know, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic or, or, you know, because, um, it, there is a saying that I have found to be true anyway, is yet is always an option, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had to lose everything before I finally said, okay, I give up. And it's such a paradox to give up, but it's like empowering at the same time. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So yeah. Um, any, right. any other like f- advice on your end as somebody that's like living it now, um, in terms of like, if there's somebody out there listening, that's kind of like, Oh, everything they're saying, I, I, I know I, I could feel what they're, you know, I, I know what they're saying. I'm just not ready yet to, yeah. Uh, um, you know, I mentioned women's for sobriety and uh, smart recovery. Um, they have really good online communities. And you said um, it when I was just dipping my toes in the water and not quite ready to go to an AA meeting yet. Um, I I posted on message boards there, and it was completely anonymous. And I did talk about my alcoholism and that I believed I was drinking alcoholically. Um, you know, and I found it. There's something that we learned in rehab, um, and I I wrote it down and I put it on my wall, but secrets make you sick. Um, And when you're drinking secretly, uh, that's a pretty big red flag. But um, even just getting it out of me started me on the road to at least looking for recovery. So, you know, um, it took me a long time, I'd say a good four or five years that I struggled with finally getting to where I am now, you know, or got eight months ago where I'd lost everything and went into recovery. But, um, you know, it it was just all of those little baby steps finally got me where I needed to be. And any step forward is, is, you know, worth it. Yeah. But that's, that's about all I've got. It's been really interesting talking to you. Definitely. Thank you. I appreciate, uh, you, you taking the time Zuby. Um, you know, this is definitely like a personal thing and I, I appreciate, you know, you, you did a great job. Um, also, I want it for the audience. I will put in links in the show notes for this podcast for the Smart Recovery Program as well as the Women for Sobriety Program. So if you're interested in those, uh, you can just check out the show notes and uh, check them out. So. Awesome. Cool. This Thanks. was fun. Yes. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. All 
all right, derek, have a great day